they are aberrations. Uh, aberrations are always kind of like the mistakes in the world. Um, Abolis, the Slotty, which we talked about recently, stuff like that. Those Will are, Meldon. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> He's not wrong. Just <laughs> <laughs> that Will's just a beholder. <laughs> always wanted to be, man. That, that explains why we like keep putting up with him. Why he's like, yeah, you know, I guess he's an okay guy. Right. He's just using his charm right on us. Right. It also explains the one giant central eye. Yeah, and the fact that he never touched the ground. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Took us this long to find out. <laughs> Welcome to Monsters and Multiclass, your Dungeons and Dragons fix. I'm Kevin Odie. I'm Jared Bornigal. And I'm Will Melton. And we'll be hanging out with you for a while to talk about anything and everything D&D related. This week we're taking a look at the Bard Monk multiclass. And then later on, the Beholders and the Beholder Kin from both the Monster Manual and Bolo's Guide to Monsters. So pull up the chair and stick around for a while. Alright, so this week our multiclass is the Bard Monk. The Bard is a full spellcaster. Main spellcasting ability is Charisma and casts magic through their connection with the universe and pulling out the innate magic in the world. Their requirement to multiclass into is 13 in Charisma. And then we're also going into the Monk, a martial class where they mainly center around being uh, very in tune with their own body. It actually specifically says in the player handbook that they pull the magic out from their selves in the form of key, which allows them to extend beyond human limits. The multi-classing requirements for that are wisdom and dex. So we have a three uh, stat dependency to multi-class into, which is always a little tough. But uh, let's start with you, Kevin. What are your first thoughts about this? So This is definitely a tricky one. I, I think there's probably some interesting things we could do. The three stat dependency is tough, especially wisdom and charisma. You usually don't see a character being high in both of those. Dex and wisdom good or dex and charisma is good. I feel like you could well, say something about that. You don't normally see something that's high in charisma and high in wisdom. Hmm. Is there something beyond that? To be charismatic, you need to be oblivious to the world. A little bit, maybe, maybe. Something about like sales guys, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. All right. So uh, it's definitely going to be a little bit tough. Will, any opposing thoughts on that? You're like, this is going to be easy. You got this. No, this is a, I don't, I don't really like this. Got, <laughs> like this to me is a big divergence from both classes. I see a lot of discipline, for instance, in the monk, where I would see a lot less out of a bard. I feel like a bard's like cool. It's like, oh, I'm chill. I don't really care that much about anything. I'm always the life of the party. I never thought of a monk as like that guy will be fun to hang out with. So <laughs> that's, I see I, one, that. one combo we can go into, but not really much else. Yeah. I always take issue with, um, <clears throat> like a, a full spellcaster and a marshal. They can work out well together. I think we've had a lot that do, but when you get such <clears throat> little synergy with the stats, it, it's definitely going to make it tough. So, um, Role-playing wise, I don't know if I fully agree with the bard needs to be the the cut loose type. Uh, I, I feel like there's a lot that in other multi-classes we've gone down where the bard comes out as like a, a very put together kind of like charismatic spy type. And I feel like that level of discipline can roll over well with the monk. And that's the main way that I saw this working from a roleplay perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Or the monk doesn't always have to be the quiet, reserved discipline type it's true uh, especially because you have like the drunken master mm -hmm. some type of monk 
I mean, that's sort of perfect for the Bard, especially if you really want to play up the charismatic life of the party. They don't care about anything. Well, then they're the drunken master monk. Right. Yeah, that's and exactly They're getting drunk at all the these parties. And, so. <laughs> right, right. And I mean, they literally get like proficiency in performance, the drunken master. So, I mean, that's just, you know, putting that out there. They're going to be the, the charismatic monk if there is one. <laughs> that's it. That's the episode. That's all we got, folks. <clears throat> All right, so looking at it from a mechanic standpoint, I think the biggest issue that that I found was just that they're not synergizing at all. Uh, Monks really focus on being good at what they are good at, and they're actually kind of one of the harder classes to multi-class into because they rely on you basically throwing out everything else and saying, I'm a monk. You can't wear armor, uh, Mm -hmm. and you can't use a shield. So right there, you're really reliant on what gives you your AC, which is dexterity and wisdom, which means you've got two that you have to focus in on. Wisdom's not really helping you too much, and charisma basically goes out the window. So you can try and put something into charisma so that you can get some spell casting modifiers up, but it's just going to hold you back from your AC. So being better at a bard is going to make you worse at being a monk. Right. And that kind of just flips both ways. Yeah. Luckily with Bard, though, a lot of their spells are support spells. So I, I think you could just go 14 to Charisma, get the plus two modifier. It mainly focuses on buffs and things like that, where it, the save or the spell attack doesn't matter. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So yeah. counter to that is, as a martial class, you often will be in the fray. Right. And a lot of those buffs are concentration. Oh, well, that's fine. You just have to make sure your con's really high. Oh, oh. Or you could take... A, oh, no, you really can't take a feat either, so... Hmm. Very human. Very... <laughs> not a bad when one for this, yeah, actually. Because then you get to pick two stats to boost and pick dex and wisdom or something, but... Right, and very human's always kind of a, a nice one to help you yeah. with, with that. I mean, yeah. just... If anyone's not familiar, you get a... It's an alternative option for if you pick human. You get to uh, pick a feat and then two stats to increase by one, where the standard player handbook... Well, they're both in the player handbook, but mm-hmm. the typical human is plus one in all stats, and I think they get two skills or something like that. Something. I haven't picked a non-variant human in so long, I actually forgot what they have. But Yeah, feats are kind of really awesome. Right, yeah. So that's why you get like a warcaster or what, whatever that last one's called there, where you get advantage on the con saves. That's for, warcaster. Yeah, for concentration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be beneficial. Or you go Kenzai monk, which allows you to pick the longbow as your monk weapon, and then you can do all this from the back. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You kind of lose out with the Kensai because you can't really do your bonus action stuff uh, as a ranged Kensai. Right. Well, they have the Kensai shot, which let me pull it up now just to make sure I don't butcher this. I know that you can add your monk damage, your uh, what is it called? Your your monk class. Yeah. So as a bonus action on your turn, when you make a range, so you could. Activate Kenzai's shot as a bonus action. Okay. And then on your turn, um, when you make ranged attacks with the Kenzai weapon, you add 1d4 extra damage to the weapon's dice. And then you retain it until the end of your turn. So it's kind of giving you that anyway. So if you take... Like like the uh, bonus unarmed stuff that you get for martial arts where you like you take your attack action then a bonus action to an unarmed attack. Right. Which starts as a d4 and then goes up to d6, d8 as you level in Monk. It's essentially working out the same. You use your bonus action to add a d4 to your shot. Oh. You don't get your modifier to it, where if you get your unarmed strike, it's going to be the d4 plus dex or strength. Right. 
whenever you want. This one is just a D4 to the attack. But then it's it makes the attacks more deadly. And then especially once you hit 5th level and you get 2 shots. Right. Then you get to add a D4 to both. Which is nice and really strong at 5th level. But compared to... I mean, it's going to take until uh, 11th level when your martial arts die goes up to a D8. For that to feel like it's kind of scaling off compared to an unarmed strike. But that does kind of suck. I thought that that went up with the um, martial arts die, but it doesn't. It's just a D4 throughout the the life of it. You always get an extra D4. Luckily, you get an extra attack at fifth level, as you said, but that's never going to increase after that. Once you hit fifth level, that is as powerful as the Kensai shot's going to get. Right. Which means that, you know, you're now taking levels in Monk to increase that martial arts die, and it's really not going to be useful until it outpaces your bow, which is going to take a while. Again, it's 11th level when you get your martial, your your monk weapon to D8s. And then I think, what, like yeah, so, 15 or something to get a, a D10? I don't know off the top of my head. Oh, um, at 6th level for Kenzai, you do get Deft Strike. When you hit a target with a Kenzai weapon, you can spend one key point to cause the weapon to deal extra damage to the target equal to your martial arts die. So okay. that's where that scaling comes in. Right. That is a resource tied to it, though, key points, mm-hmm. which always match your monk level. And that's competing with something like Flurry of Blows, which... Right. If you're ranged, it doesn't matter. Yeah, if you're ranged, that doesn't matter, but it's But it also, like, like Step of the Wind, where you could dash or disengages. There's two separate ones there, but basically key point to dash or disengage as a bonus action, which is always useful. But again, right. if you're ranged, not all the time. But the problem... That, that kind of leads into, I think, another possible issue with this is Monk really benefit from just being monks right like every level you're getting more key your martial as you point out your martial damage dice is going up things like that and they get a bunch of just cool stuff every single level there's really there's a couple ribbon ability levels but for the most part you're you're getting something beneficial the higher you go in monk right and it all relies on you being a monk right again the second that you put on armor you basically lose 75 percent of your class or hold a shield which you know that is a little weird, but whatever. You can't hold a shield or else you can't throw punches, I guess. You know, and that does make it a little bit hard to, again, mix with a bard, as we're trying to do here, because the bard classes that might possibly benefit this are ones that rely on you using weapons and armor. Like, they're they were ones that make you more martial-related bards. College of Swords is always the, the one that comes up when we're like, oh, great, this is a martial right. class. Go College of Swords. They're kind of helping each other a little bit. Sometimes it doesn't work because Battlemaster as a fighter is just better. But, you know, you can get a fighting style at third level, right. which can be useful with a monk. You but- get the dueling or two weapon fighting that's it no right. no archery so like the longbow if you go to kensai right. it would be wasted yep i um, think you can do a a martial kensai monk yeah with this okay. though yeah you're right like the issue staff. is yeah 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 quarter staff definitely works take um, dueling get plus well, two if you just have a one-handed weapon kensai actually completely changes that you can take whatever one-handed weapon you want right or two-handed it can be versatile you're um whatever monk weapon you choose so you can right. take like a long sword which is a d10 uh no if you're if you're holding it with two hands yeah dueling and two fighting two weapon fighting would not help there no but it at least can be a d8 held in one hand whereas a quarter staff in one hand is a single d6 right so that's not as good but with dueling again you're getting plus two bonus to damage rolls with that if you go two weapon fighting uh which is lets you add your ability modifier to the damage of your 
bonus action attack that you yeah. make with an offhand. Which doesn't make much sense as a monk. It doesn't make right. that much sense compared to dueling, which lets you, again, when you're wielding a melee weapon in one hand, no other weapons, you gain a plus two to damage rolls with that weapon. So, yeah, I would go that's like, pretty good. You know, uh, longsword, rapier, battle axe. Right, yeah, a exactly. D8, a D8 one-handed weapon with the Kenzai. I think a maul. A maul's <laughs> a D8. Which isn't very monkey, but like... No, it's not. I thought you were being sarcastic. No, Maul's the big two-handed. Uh, which like, one is mace. That? That's like it the biggest be... weapon in the game. That's a D12. There's one. There's a bludgeoning D8. I can't remember which one it is. Warhammer, I think. Warhammer, sure. yeah. That sounds right. Warhammer. Mm-hmm. Wait, I, no. Sorry, I'm not a, a medieval weapons master or expert. Everyone just matter. uses rapiers. It doesn't matter. <laughs> 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 oh my God. If somebody came to my table and they're like, I'm going to play a bard monk multi-class and I'm going to use a rapier, I'd be like, get the hell out of here you come back with a morning star you don't come back at all right (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah all right let's say you know three levels into bard great you're getting this fighting style you get dueling that's increasing your damage capabilities by plus four potentially each turn right you're at fifth level and monk two attacks and then you're offhand then you get some blade flourishes you also get a morning star or i think a flail all of those are D8s? Yeah. Okay. It can't cool. have heavy or special. Or... Oh, I can't have special? Right. I think Flail might have special. I don't think Flail has special. It doesn't. Think... No. Yeah. It's just a D8 blade. They got rid of that where you could like yeah. trip people with your Flail. Right. So that would be kind of cool. I just like that image of a Bard Monk with like right. a Flail or a Morning Star. Well, I think what this actually is a great time for, really regardless of uh, of the Bard multi-class, is pull out that DMG where they have like different reflavorings of the weapons. So right. you can say like, oh, here they have like specifically Eastern style weaponry. It's just the Japanese translations for the weapons, man. <laughs> but okay, sure. But they have different pictures next to it. Yeah, so they do. Looks pretty cool. <laughs> oh, and they uh, they made something into nunchucks, which was kind of cool. Right. So there's something, you know, reflavor it in a way that's more interesting than the rapier. But yeah, let's see. It's yeah. But yeah, since you don't need to special, worry about right. the finesse property, that it's very open. Yeah. That, that's what the problem with the rapier is the only. 1d8 mm-hmm. uh, the only d8s finesse weapon right as far as i know that's, that's yes yeah, yeah yeah that that's the problem with it so with this when you're since you're the with the monk martial arts it, the anything that's considered a monk weapon you can use strength or dex for it it yep. doesn't matter you make it yeah finesse basically. basically yeah so that really opens it up i wish we saw more monks using uh i was gonna say stuff like morning stars or warhammers but they have to be a kensai monk anyways for that to work yeah. you would yes yeah otherwise it's Just simple not- weapons uh quarter staff or short swords yes it's yeah pretty limited again yeah. monks are very big on just like you're a monk now right you do monk things yeah. and if you try and do anything else you get the hell out uh <laughs> which again makes it, it's why it's so difficult to multi-class with so with this college of swords though the first thing that i ran into in trying to put this together is your uh blade flourishes are tied to your bardic inspirations which, if you are trying to do this multi-class, means that your charisma becomes very important. Usually as a bard, that's your main spellcasting feature or uh, stat. So you're going to get that up as high as possible. You'll get fifth level as a bard really quick, which lets you get your bardic inspirations back on a short rest. But uh, if you're only going up to third and your charisma is only at 14, you're getting two blade flourishes a day. Right. Which is not good and does not scale well at all. No, that's very limiting. So the blade flourishes are really great, but if you could do them a lot, like a five times per short rest, because you got 20 ducks and you got to, yeah, as yeah. you're saying, level five, 
just a quick summary of them. It's after you hits, right? Uh, part of the attack action, and if the weapon attack hits a creature, then yeah. you can use a blade flourish. Yeah, then flourish. you could choose to use a blade flourish. They're kind of similar to uh, Battlemaster maneuvers. You spend a Bardic Inspiration, and then there's three options, defensive, slashing, and mobile, uh, where you can then roll the Bardic Inspiration die, and that also goes up on level Bard level as mm-hmm. well. It's another reason to stick more in a Bard. <laughs> and then generally, you add that damage to the hit, and then it has another effect, like the defensive one. You also, until the start of your next turn, your AC goes up by the number you rolled like a potential plus six plus eight whatever which is really nice slashing you could hit somebody within five feet of you for the damage th- things like that so they are really great but yeah if you're not really focusing on bard very very limited they're not so great where twice a day is enough right now i will say that bard martial subclasses do allow you to get up to fifth level without having that issue with uh, getting extra attack in both because right. bards don't get their extra attack until six level if you take that subclass. Right. So that means you can get third level spells, which is definitely good. And at fifth level, bards get the ability to get their bardic inspirations back on a short rest. So that increases it a little bit, depending on your game. I know some people don't really have short rest dependent games, to be honest. And that's just right. something to consider. I think that's something we've tried moving closer to because not having short rests makes some classes feel a lot weaker. Oh, for sure. Um, Bards are one of them. I think Warlocks fall into that category too. Uh, So we definitely try and have short rests, which would make this a little bit better. Even if you kept it at that two charisma modifier, you could then get four of these blade flourishes a day. One thing small to point out is that the blade flourish, regardless uh, of using the Bardic Inspiration, does give you a walking speed increase of 10 feet every time you take the attack action. Oh, yeah, so, which with Monk's really cool. Right, Monk's are definitely known for being fast. That's one of their things, is their walking speed just increases as they get higher and higher up. Uh, and that's a... It's a way to get a three-level dip and get another 10 feet of movement. You're definitely better off just sticking in Monk uh, to get that movement, because you're going to get it anyways. But at least you're not getting that taken away from you. Right. Yeah, you're losing your 18, which is plus 30 feet. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, You're saying at, at 18th level. And, I mean, like, it's cool to be fast, but I don't think it's that useful. I don't know. It keeps coming up as very yeah. useful. Even the dwarf in our last campaign at Out of the Abyss at but 25 like, speed. How many times did Saucy die? Saucy well, died once. like nine <laughs> times because he had he needed five more feet. Of <laughs> but that's the thing about the monk. You've already got, like, this big well of speed. I can say, yeah, you have plus 10. It's true. being a monk. That comes on pretty early. And right. then this would give you basically plus 20 anytime you take the attack action. And it's not when you use blade flourishes. It's just Correct. when you take the attack action. Even if you miss mm-hmm. whatever, it's you get plus 10. Yeah, so I mean, pretty much well, almost always at plus 20, right. which is nice. 50 speed on average. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty good. Now, if you dash, it's only 80 because you aren't getting the 10, unless you use your bonus action, because it does just increase your walking speed. It doesn't, like, it, it's not some convoluted thing. Um, if you dash as a bonus action with your monk stuff, and mm-hmm. then take the attack action on your turn, that makes it 100 feet of movement. Yeah. What? Yeah, weird. What do you mean? Well, I'm just trying, I, I oh. guess it depends on the order that you do it. You have uh, to attack first and then dash. I guess you action. would, because when you take the attack action... It increases, but you yeah, could your walking speed increases by 10 move. <laughs> you could move some feet, however many, attack, 
and then you'd get the extra 10, and then you could dash as a bonus action, and that would be doubled. As long as you do the attack first. But you're going to yeah. take an opportunity attack because right. you're just running away instead of disengaging. Ugh, it's complicated. Or you kill them and it doesn't matter. Or you kill or them. Can yeah. you just take the attack action like on the air? Like know that you're going to miss? Oh, you to, just... like just to trigger it? Like my basically... So basically you're saying I'm taking my actions to get no, 10 no, you can't. movement. No. <laughs> no more bag of mice bullshit, man. <laughs> It actually doesn't say when you attack with a melee weapon. When though. you take the yeah. attack action on your turn. Right. So you could use that with your, if you're Kensai, then right. you're ranged. Yeah. You take a shot with your bow and then you, you bounce. Yeah, I don't that think would the, make sense. I don't think the blade flourishes are actually tied to melee weapon attacks. At They're all. not. So weird. that is actually kind of a point in the favor of the ranged monk on this, where you can do some cool slashing flourishes from a distance, but it's, Shooting and it's slashing. The College kind of, of Swords in quotation yeah. marks. <laughs> <laughs> kind of picture like the the arrow like bounces off the one target and sticks into the other. Sure. <laughs> you can totally do that. A monk actually would, uh, would make sense for a monk to do that. Yeah. Well, no, actually, the slashing flourish is the one that where it's uh, you expend it, you see your bardic inspiration, you cause the weapons to deal extra damage to the target you hit and to any other creature of your choice that you can see within five feet of you. So oh. there needs to be somebody next to you. Oh yeah, we talked. We about talked this, this is where you would you would like stab him with the arrow, right. and then knock it and right. fire it off. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Still pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I hate this subclass, man. It's not like I don't hate it. It's just none of it makes any sense. <laughs> the flavor is really weird. Slam it. I feel like the flavor is great, but the mechanics you... associated with the flavor are just. Yeah, what? Th that's what I mean. Yeah, it's, it doesn't limit it to bladed weapons or something like that. Right, just... right. Well, it's just like the Battlemaster. Battlemaster, all of its things can be used with a bow and arrow. So you can just like trip somebody flying. It's a trip attack. You tripped them and now they have to descend to the ground because you tripped them with your bow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I always thought that the, the Battlemaster would benefit from like soft flavor weapon modifications, especially when they do that shit. Like a netted arrow or something that has okay. no mechanical effect, right? But it's just like, why is that bird coming crashing to the sky from the skies? Like, right, because he's got a netted arrow. He's a master of battle. You learned that <laughs> in the arena. I actually think that's a really good way to flavor battle master, and it's not just your tactical mind knowing that you should, you know, trip them here and push and whatever. It's you have invented things to complete this process yeah that's i think kind of cool because they were uh, we did, we actually mentioned that they removed almost all the cool quote-unquote weapon shit from dnd 5e you can't your flails can't trip people you can't like hook people you can't use like a double uh halibird that has a chain in the middle to <laughs> quadruple your crit damage that's just gone it's just gone right but now you have the battle master that can do these cool things as a resource expenditure right right so hmm. i like that Definitely makes for good inspiration for magic weapons, though. Yes, it does. Because then you can always <laughs> hand wave it. It's like, oh, how does that happen? It's like, oh, magic. And you can only do it three times a day because <laughs> it recharges at dawn. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, all right, back to the Bard Monk, not the Battlemaster. I am seeing, I, I guess, I'm having a hard time deciding if Monk, like going further into Monk is better or going further into Bard. I feel like we've been talking about it from the idea of going mostly Monk and then like, you can go up to five in Bard, which is probably the best stopping point for Bard. Third level spells, Bardic Inspiration die up to a D8, and Font of Inspiration, as well as, this hasn't been mentioned yet, a ton of skills. Uh, you right. know, it's Jack of All Trades is their second level deal, and, and they get 
what is it? For anything that you're not proficient in, you get half your proficiency bonus rounded down. Yep. Two levels into Bard, and that is always going to be useful and just going to keep going up. Right. Yeah, and you also get expertise. I think at first level. Uh, third level, actually. Third? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But expertise, choose two of your skill proficiencies. Your proficiency bonus is doubled for any ability check you make that uses either of those proficiencies. Great. Yep. You know, I mean, you're you're more of a skill monkey, which I would never really call a bar or a, a monk. Otherwise, that's definitely a benefit. You are sacrificing some combat abilities for that. Right. At least a lot, a lot of combat abilities. Yeah, I don't really. Monk dips are not really good. Monk dips are not good. Yeah, like trying to view it from the other side, where the first level of monk is unarmored defense and martial arts. Two things that rely on you not wearing armor and not having a shield. So if you're already a bard, martial or not, you're probably going to be wearing armor. Your wisdom's probably not going to be too high. I guess at least 13, which is plus one. Great. But then you take that first level in monk and you're like, well, I guess I can take off my armor now or <laughs> not. And then this was the most wasted level possible. Yeah, but you're good at punching stuff. If you take off your armor. Yeah, yeah you only get the benefit of martial arts if you don't have armor or a shield. Yeah. That's for <laughs> It's the probably the worst one level dip you can take unless you're already like, yeah, I don't really need armor or your dex and wisdom's already high. So, yeah, that's any kind of like maybe if you're a barbarian. Yeah, barbarian right. doesn't yeah. matter. Spellcasters don't really like a wizard's never going to be wearing armor True. unless they're some kind of battle wizard. We already I think we did yeah. wizard monk. It wasn't a great that's dip. The <laughs> it's the only time it even almost makes sense cuz right. this dip it's it's like we said, this is a commitment. You're becoming a monk. You're not getting the monk skills. Right. So yeah. I don't see I don't see that working at all the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Say foot mainly focus monk. Dip a bit into bard. I'm good with that. Gotta, I can I can accept that. Yeah. Um Ro- role play reasons for this? Yeah, I think that uh we got a couple that we can go with, but they do mainly center around that idea of a bard who's a part of some secret organization. I think that because of that, you could probably go, I mean, outside of College of of Swords, as we have discussed, something like College of Whispers, I kind of like, because that always feels like the social manipulator. Mm -hmm. I can't think of any like big, huge reasons why that works super well, Um, but it, it does. I mean, you're a monk, you're part of some organization with their motives, and to do that, you are really good at manipulating conversation. And you get psychic blades, which is something. You can do some damage. (laughs) Words of terror, I guess. Not really the best three-level dip, but it's something. Yeah. And I'm kind of getting like a Doctor Strange vibe. Okay. I mean, you you could more argue that's Monk Sorcerer, but I I could still see it where you're kind of pulling your magic from the innate ability of the universe and you're still trained in kind of martial arts and have that ability, like the order that... He's a part of. Yeah. I thought he just like yeah. shot lasers or something. No. He didn't shoot lasers? He didn't just shoot lasers. He did shoot lasers though, I don't right? I think I've ever seen him shoot a laser. Hmm. What, what, that, what did he do to beat bad guys? He didn't like fight him. It was like, that was a really crowded expertise area of the Avengers. <laughs> so that would have been dumb. I'm pretty sure he just shot him with lasers, man. I thought he just thought real hard about it. <laughs> Um, I think we are obviously not big comic book people. No, so. I don't think so. Yeah. 
College of Lore, because of that, I think would go mm-hmm. pretty well with that. That was my thought, yeah. It, it uh, increases your proficiencies as well, again, where you can gain proficiency with three skills of your choice. You get Cutting Words, which is arguably the best use of Bardic Inspiration. Right, but um, you still have the issue of being very limited on it. Yep. <laughs> um, Additional Magical Secrets is something to probably look at, too. But it's not till six. Yeah, that's where lore really shines though you know you i think that this is this potentially is a very good way for your bard to get spells you're looking for if there's a spell on a list or yeah your monk that's Ah. what i meant if there's a spell you really want this is probably the best way to get it by committing six levels to bard ah maybe i would just look at whatever list the spell and go with that if it's ranger or paladin (laughs) that totally goes out the window because that's an even bigger commitment. I am admittedly and with actually, Will we, we, on the eh, maybe. Yeah, yeah obviously it very much depends. Yeah. Paladin will, actually two episodes from now, spoiler alerts, we're doing Monk Paladin. So we'll, Keep going. we'll dive into that then. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. You can definitely get some spells out of it. I think you do get more out of the first five levels of Bard than you would out of five levels into another class like wizard and monk if like you had to make a choice probably maybe i would rather go with that than have to have intelligence as a monk because you're still going to have that three requirements um so it's such a great way to compare it the monk bard better than the monk wizard (laughs) i mean probably yeah yeah. it it is but you know yeah you're right. This is a very situational thing. <laughs> if you are chasing down two spells that are on two different lists, okay. additional magical secrets is almost undeniably the best way to get it. So you want, um, what's a good third level ranger spell? I don't know. Yeah. I don't, don't have I any. I can't think of any. There's uh, the paladin spell at third level, aura of vitality. vitality. That's a really good healing spell. Um, heals 2d6 every round for a minute as a bonus action. Great. Great spell. Something worth chasing down as a monk. If you have no other healers, I guess, and you don't use your bonus action, you know, because monks just don't care about those. (sighs) This is a lot of shit that just like, it just, oh, that didn't work at all. Right. It's like, it it keeps getting so close to like, oh, I could maybe see. And then there's just one little caveat that's like, nah, that's not worthwhile. No. Like, it's just, it's not that great. I think that you might, have some really good reason to do it but i don't <laughs> someone might but i don't hmm yeah it's not not my favorite it it comes back to anytime we run into one of these it comes back to i think role playing if you have a strong character concept in mind where role play wise bard monk matches really well and gets you what you want mm-hmm. sure i don't think it's much of a stretch for sure no. i think role playing wise this is actually the only place where it does kind of shine where I could very much see somebody being a bard already, potentially having... I mean, they definitely have the 13 decks just as a bard. That's almost outright easy. And then potentially already having a 13 wisdom. And then story reasons, or maybe they just think it'd be cool, whatever. Organization approaches them. They're like, you need to train with us for months and learn our ways. And then, boom, you're a monk now. Cool. That sucks. You know, you're not going to be good unless it was like <laughs> third level bard and now you start being a monk and that's like yeah. your main focus going forward. Great. 
you got story reasons behind it. Maybe at 10th level, you'll catch up with the rest of the party. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that could work. Or for like something happens in your life and you go and join a monastic order Mm -hmm. and you can train and like you are now a monk, you kind of leave the bar life behind, but you still have the skills that you've learned up to that point. Right. Which could suit you well, but your main focus is now monk. Yep. Rejection of the previous class is always a a way to to justify it. Um, Right. It can feel a little bit weird just because you're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be a, uh, I don't, how do, how would you summarize bards in one word? Singer songwriter. I don't want to be a singer songwriter anymore. I want to join a monastic order. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I hate singing. I want to be a dancer now. <laughs> but I'm still very good at singing. Yeah. So, you know, if it needs to be done, I can be, you know, a triple threat. I can act too. I've got a uh, performance. So... <laughs> I mean, this would actually this wouldn't be a bad pop star class, but that's just a bard. But this one's also like a muscular, <laughs> like a like think of like Marky Mark. But they don't need strength. Marky Mark does didn't really need strength either, but he was like jacked. <laughs> like I don't think he was most, toned. Like he was toned. toned. But I don't think most bards would be that toned. That's true. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put him in that classification. Hmm. No. Great, you can get I don't your... know why you'd play that as an adventurer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> My character is Marky Mark from like, Wild Bunch. <laughs> Maybe there are worse ideas. Oh, I mean, there's always a worse idea. It's <laughs> sitting there in my head somewhere, I guarantee you. <sighs> I don't know. That's what I got. Any other monk classes that kind of went well with the bard? I know we talked a lot about Kensai. I think that one is... is Probably your best bet, if anything, just to not lose those weapon abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, Open hands, always solid. What about it? It's just good. I guess that's it. You just get a bunch of stuff you can do with your yeah. punches. Yeah. That's definitely good if you're going mostly into monk, because they just get all their... When when they use flurry of blows, they just get good stuff. Does it go yeah. well with bard? Sure. Yeah. More importantly, it it's just good. <laughs> I think way of the shadow would be awful. Mostly because, like, you're just getting some a bad way to cast spells. Yeah, Shadow Step at 6th is nice. It but is. But that's kind of a commitment. Right. I mean, we're talking even just, like, staying in Monk and then you're 3 in Bard. Or 5 in Bard. Whatever. Right. Are you getting much out of it? Not really. No. Yeah, those spells, I think you get most of them anyways. Yeah. Darkness, Dark Vision, Pass Without a Trace, or Silence. Man, I can get Dark Vision just by choosing the right race. <laughs> Right. <laughs> or not choosing the wrong one, seeing as like three races don't have dark vision. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's not very good. No. Wave the four elements is great. Oh. <laughs> okay. No, no love for Wave of the Four Elements. That was that my one first goes so good with spellcasters, man. That was my first class ever. I know. The first monk I played was Wave of the Four and Elements. And I was always like, wow, this even back then I didn't know as much. I was like this. Is an underperforming character. Yeah. It might have been because I was playing it, though. (laughs) We later learned out it was both. Yeah. (laughs) I've gotten better. That's what I keep telling myself, at least. Other than that, Drunken Master. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I like Drunken Master. That's well barred. Definitely. There's nothing mechanically there that's going to be like, whoa, you just changed the way you're playing the game, bro. Well, you know, we were talking about, like... uh, the issue with Bard is you're casting spells that are very reliant on concentration. 
So at least with Drunken Technique, which you get at third level, when you use Flurry of Blows, you can disengage and your walking speed increases by 10. So that at least lets you get out of combat really easily, which is something. Yeah, that's a, if you've, that would be a good combo of just running around, punching stuff while maintaining concentration. By just never getting hit. Right. And you still get your bonus action. So if you're, if you have the key to use on um, the dodge action, you can use that in times where it's really important to hold that concentration. Um, well, you can get <clears> your... What's that? That triggers off a of flurry, oh, flurry of, blows, of blows, which is a bonus action. You're right. You're right. I guess then it would be One if the other you can't thing. leave. <laughs> yeah. So that's definitely something. Uh, tipsy Sway at six level is kind of cool. I like redirect attack a lot. Just when a right. creature misses you with a melee attack, you spend one key point to cause it to hit somebody else five within five feet of you. That's just a great ability. Yeah. There's I mean, a lot of flavor in the monk class that's cooler than anything else on any other class list. It's yeah. just not that great. It's just, or it just doesn't pair well with other classes. Yeah. Right. Ooh, right. We forgot deflect missile. Deflect. At third level, uh, monks yeah. get deflect missile. It's such a good ability, except it's not. It's really not that great. I mean, okay, reducing the damage for free is really nice. I think mm-hmm. it's just a reaction. Yeah. So you use your reaction, which isn't going to be used too much. Grab a missile, reduce it by 1d10 plus your monk level. Plus dex. Plus dex. Sorry. No monk level associated with that. No, dex and monk. It's both. Oh, dex and monk level. That's great. I mean, that's reducing a lot of damage. Makes you great to stay far back. Another point to the uh, the Kensai, Kensai yeah. longbow user that you know, is something. Redirect attack doesn't work there. That's not Kensai. Either way, I don't know. It's not great. <laughs> Still not great. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts on Bard Monk? This is one of those ones I'd like someone to prove me wrong on. <laughs> I, I, It was very difficult trying to come up with anything. I think there was multiple times where I just kind of scribbled over my notes and I was like, nope, that's not going to work and, and threw it out. Right. But uh, there might be some some nugget of of goodness in this class and if somebody can find it please please let me know right <laughs> i think that there may be that nugget hidden in a spell book somewhere yeah that we might have missed that makes lore bard worth it's it like if you like being a monk with this spell that you can only get this way totally changes the game like, right that might be out there but i have my doubts right beyond yeah, that like what spell I, exactly. I, it might be out there. Not necessary to go into Bard for this, but just fifth level in a spellcaster. Haste is nice. Again, that's not reliant on Bard, but you can haste yourself. It's always nice. Yeah, mm. but then you're having to maintain the concentration. Yep, but you got plus two AC, so it doesn't matter. Just haste the paladin, man. Yeah. Yeah. But what if there's no paladin? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> haste the rogue. Haste anyone. Yeah. Haste and rogue is good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, buffs on yourself. That's that's basically Vicious the only thing. Vicious mockery. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, it's good if that's all you can do. <laughs> I mean, the disengage, or the disadvantages. Right, right, right. That's yeah. good. But it's in 5e, you're always better with just killing stuff. So doing damage is going to be more important than giving disadvantage to their attack. If you give them disadvantage if every time... If you could time, do enough damage. If you can do enough damage, yes. But you're only going to do enough damage if you do the damage now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bards get fairy fire, which is nice, but it's concentration. Advantage on 
It cast it anything in a range. That can be good. Reliant yeah. on that saving throw, though. They make a deck saving yeah, throw against that. True. So. Healing word. <laughs> good. Whoa! I mean, if you don't have another healer in the party, great. Right. Am I going to go bard for it? Maybe Sleep not. Sleep at low levels. Because there's no save associated with that. Okay. But it's based off of hit hit dice, mm-hmm. hit, hit points. And so that Kevin, kind of I want you off. to think about level 17 of that combination. It's like, was it worth <laughs> that dip? Losing these monk levels I would have gotten for the spell that no longer works. No. Well, you can switch it out when you level up in monk, bard. Yeah, which you won't be doing anymore. <laughs> well, if you get to fifth level, you can get hold person, which is always good if they can, if you can make them fail to save. And it's, I mean, there's not many ways if you are a monk that you're going to be able to cast a spell that has a high success rate. You know, if you go sorcerer, you have to rely on charisma, warlock, charisma, wizard, intelligence. So cleric and druid wisdom. Wow. Immediately blown the fuck out. Uh, you got me there. Well, monks need wisdom, though. Monk, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I'm saying I am because oh, you're I think right. It sarcastic. No, 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 you're right. There's there's two classes. So yeah. I think Cleric gets hold person. I don't know if Druid does off the top of my head. Um, yeah, actually they do. I think both of those, both of the times I played those, I had hold person. Okay. I, I rescind my statement. There are some all right classes to multi-class into for spellcasting as a monk. Bard is probably not one of them. <laughs> yep. Okay. That's definitely all I got about this. I think any more, and it's just going to be us repeating that this isn't great. (laughs) (laughs) Before we move on into our monster of the week and have our promotional minute. Uh, So if you do not yet subscribe to us, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, that way you're always notified when we release bi-weekly on Thursdays, then follow us on Twitter, which is at monsters underscore multi subscribe to our subreddit, which is monsters and multi-class. And if you find out anything that we missed, you're always welcome to let us know <laughs> through those means. Uh, give us a heads up. Let's talk some D&D. And with that, let's move on to the Beholders. And Beholderkin. And Beholderkin. For this episode's monster, we're looking at the Beholders and also the Beholderkin, if we have time. There's kind of a lot here. The Beholders are aberrations. Pretty much the epitome of paranoid always have a plan and a backup plan and a backup plan of your backup plan type monsters. They're either complete isolationists or they are generally, if they're not, then they're usually rolling some sort of underhanded underground organization and kind of pulling all the strings behind the scenes. They're really ferocious and fearsome in combat. It's never just going to be a straight up fight. It's all, you're always going to fight a beholder on their terms with everything going in their favor. And even so, it's just challenging. And at 13, they can really be a deadly fight all the way up to 20 if stacked right. Uh, they have a crazy array of abilities, uh, different eye rays and stuff like that. They're always, they have, always have an excuse to have just about any other creature with them. And really just an awesome thing. I mean, they're a classic D&D monster. Most people probably know them. Even people who don't play D&D would probably recognize a Beholder. Maybe not by name, but would see a picture and kind of ha- have a recognition with it. Been around forever. I'm pretty sure I've seen drawings of them in first edition. They look goofy. D&D. They do. Everything <laughs> in first edition looks goofy. <laughs> but yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on Beholders? I and think this is, this is one of the classic examples of the challenge rating just being flat out wrong. When you look at how a challenge rating is calculated, HP, AC, how much damage it can do per round, whatever, 
um, it is almost impossible to really put a number on the beholder. And a 13 just doesn't seem to do it justice. Uh, We in Out of the Abyss fought a beholder ran by Kevin, um, and it was probably one of, if not the hardest fight in the entire game. Uh, We were level 10, I think. 10 or 11. Something like that. Whereas I think a couple games before, we fought multiple Sorrow Sworn, which are also very, very difficult things to fight. And that one felt like a cakewalk in comparison. And this was a single challenge rating 13, as well as like a challenge rating a four mage. mage or something I think six actually they get up there whatever he was but locked he, down by the IB the he, entire it was, time it was not well planned out and we'll get to that but yeah <laughs> right yeah uh, so. so these are ones that I, I completely agree with your statement where this can be a deadly fight from really any level as long as you set it up right and right. a beholder such a a difficult one to set it up right like that i think it takes a lot on the dm to to put things in place so that you're not just i don't know in a, a room just fighting a beholder right like that's just You're in a 10 by a 10 by 10 foot room there's a beholder in the middle yeah <laughs> right you basically yeah. reduce the beholder to a pinata if you do that. right yeah right yeah so i think probably <laughs> the best way is go over their stat block in detail and then we'll we talk about the lore and why the lore behind them makes them such a difficult fight okay um because it's also a really unique stat block so yeah challenge rating 13 ac of 18 hit points of 180 at challenge rating 13 that's nothing crazy fly speed of only 20 yep no ground speed or anything so it could only hover fly speed of 20 and we should have had a roll speed <laughs> like a meatball <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah just in case nobody knows what they look like and i'm sure you've seen pictures of this they're giant why would you spheres, be listening to our podcast right? oh, i'm it, just a casual D and really. i wonder what that game they're playing is about <laughs> they look like a meatball with tentacles yeah, pretty much, yeah. And the tentacles have eyes on the end of them. And they have a large central eye and a huge mouthful of... Teeth. Teeth, yeah. <laughs> Guess what else would it be filled with? <laughs> filled with gummy bears! <laughs> Full of other spheres. <laughs> or eyes. Yeah, oh. Beholder's mouth with just eyes. That'd, that'd be creepy. Yeah. The uh, I mean, you can, that could happen based on how... <laughs> beholders come into existence. Yeah. Perfect yeah. segue. Yeah. How do beholders come into no, no, existence? No, no, we started the stat block. No, come on. Right. It's a natural flow, Kevin. It's what our listeners want, right. casual and hardcore. Ah, but I feel like it's jumping around oddly. Because then we, it doesn't make sense unless we explain the entire lore. <sighs> Fine. Stat blocks. <laughs> it's what everyone came here for, yeah. right? For numbers. Yeah. They're, they're, the beholders really have two main things going for them. They have sense skills and stuff like that, but they have an anti-magic cone. So they have their central eye which at all times unless they choose to switch it off which i think they could just do as a free action they have a anti-magic cone which is a 150 foot cone which is absolutely insane uh how cones specifically work like if you're on a grid system you go out five feet and it takes up one five foot square and then you go out another five feet and then it's adds two more squares and then another five feet and then it's what five squares or whatever and it keeps going like that so it's an absolutely huge cone and it works identical to the anti-magic field spell, which basically nullifies all magic of any kind. Any spell cast in it just doesn't work. You cannot teleport in or out of it. Any magical items become innate, inert, yeah, inert in it. Uh, any summoned creature disappears. Um, any magical effects or buffs on you are suppressed while you are in it. It completely shuts down magic of any kind. And at the beginning of his turn, he could choose what direction it faces. Like the beholders, because of all their eyes, they don't really have this aspect of not being able to see behind them or to the side. So they just position themselves however they want, and there's that anti magic cone for the turn. 
So that right away is a huge thing to contend with. Then they have their eye rays. They have 10 of them. And so these are the little, the stalks hanging off of them with eyes, and they could shoot different, basically, beams out of the eyes. On their turn, their main attack is doing eye rays. They could shoot three of these on a turn, up to 120 feet away. Uh, and it's supposed to be random. You roll a d10, and then you just re-roll duplicates. It's at go- least suggested. I know that's, like, kind of silly differentiation but it's suggested that you do this randomly it has 10 different effects to keep yourself fair as a dm it's almost better to do it rolling a d10 um because otherwise you can do disintegration literally every all three every round right and that's just like gets pretty old right (laughs) so to run through these real quick just real real brief do you have charm ray uh it's a saving throw where you'll be charmed for the beholder paralyzing ray another saving throw and you become paralyzed for a minute and you could repeat the same throw at the end of it. Being paralyzed is terrible. Terrible, terrible fit. stats effect. Uh, all attacks against you have advantage. Any attack within five feet is automatically crits. It's it's scary stuff. And I think you just automatically fail deck saves. Yeah. Which, against this thing, it's not good. Nope. There's some bad deck saves that you don't want to fail. Nope. Once again, that disintegration rate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fear ray, another wisdom saving throw. You can frighten for a minute. Um, you can repeat the saving throw at the end of your turns slowing way the same throw again and it's basically coming under the effects of the slow spell you can take actions or bonus actions can't take reactions half speed stuff like that innovation raise the con save you can take 88 necrotic damage or half as much on a success so definitely a hard hitter telekinesis it could uh, strength saving throw move you or objects around 30 feet so can, and you're restrained by it by the way as well which is terrible because you have disadvantage in all attacks all attacks you have advantage Sleep Ray, Wisdom Saving Throw, unconscious for a minute until like you take damage or someone wakes you up. Petrification Ray, Dexterity Saving Throw, you if you fail it, you become half petrified and become restrained. And then on your next turn, I think, yeah, at the end of its next turn, if you fail it again, you become fully petrified. Which is how we almost lost uh, a Thaley. Yes, because she got wizard petrified. In the campaign. Luckily, we had someone of greater restoration. Who was still alive. <laughs> hmm? Oh, wait, no, no, no. Actually, we didn't. We had someone who was right next to her with greater restoration, and then the next ray happened. What happens with the next ray, Kevin? Oh, hey, that's perfect. <laughs> Disintegration ray. Dexterity saving throw. You take 10d8 force damage. Um, if it reduces you to zero hit points, your body becomes fine gray dust. So, yeah, we, we, this, we had the wizard and the cleric. The cleric had greater restoration to restore, restore petrification. And was running to a Thaley, yes, the wizard. Yes, and as he was running to her, got hit with a disintegration ray, failed the dexterity saving throw, ended up being enough damage to kill him. He turned to dust, so he was just dead. We, we were not high enough to have any ability to take some, resurrect someone from being dust. And no one else had greater restoration. Oops. Oops. But then the the character that came in that replaced Will was a bard who also did have greater restoration. Specifically, so. because he knew what he was coming into. <laughs> it's also just a good spell to have, especially yeah. not of the Abyss. Yeah. Man, that really sucked. Yeah. I, I think about that sometimes, to just sit and just cry a little bit. There's only There's only two ways to really fix that. Well, maybe, I think that's, yeah, there's only two ways. That's true resurrection and wish. Mm-hmm. Which are the toppest of top tier yeah. spells? That was about ninth level. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the yeah, reason, and, of- and wish is really pushing it. <laughs> I mean, you're you're, it's, you're outside of the like standard effects. I'm pretty sure. Of oh, wish. well, at least in the sense of it's not like just a free thing. Can you true resurrection is ninth level? 
I'm pretty sure. Okay. Well, if it is, it's, yeah. if you want to look it up, that's fine. But yeah, that, that would be a wish wish. So you have to roll on it, see if it actually works. And then you're like exhausted for a week or something. Afterwards. Right. And you have a chance of never being able to cast the spell again. Like right. it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wish is one of those spells where it lists, here's certain things you could do within. And then it's pretty open based on these rules. But then you have these negative things. And I'm pretty sure using it as to do a true resurrection is looking it up. Too much sense. I did not spell that right. Anyway, we'll come back to that. Uh, Death Ray um, is the last one. Uh, DC 16 deck save, and you take 10d10 necrotic damage. You die if it reduces you to zero. And then they have their legendary actions, which they have three of them, so they could take these in between turns, which allows them to use another I-Ray. So essentially, within a round of combat, they get six of those. 120 feet away. They do have to be able to see them, but they also have dark vision out to 120 feet, Yeah. so there's not much reason that they couldn't. Uh, unless someone's hiding behind something, but then they have a layer action where they can make an eye pop up anywhere on their layer and then shoot a ray through that. Yeah. That's limited, though, because that's only once initiative count 20. There's three layer actions, and you cannot reuse one until the other ones are used. So that's only once every three rounds. But. Right. So that was a lot. Just wanted to get through them quick. Yeah. So. Yeah. Scary stuff. It really is. I mean, just the only. It just. The DC 16 on all of these makes it really, really hard to just not fail any of them. Because it's like, how do you beat a beholder? Just don't fail any of your saving throws. Right. Ever. I think it's I think it's something that is worth mentioning, though, is what this creature does not have. And that is, it does not have a single resistance. It doesn't have a single immunity except for prone. Doesn't have legendary right. It doesn't have legendary resistances. This thing is, for all intents and purposes, oddly squishy but incredibly dangerous at the same time. Right. And it's because the randomness of this table, some of these I don't really give a shit about. Charm Ray, Sleep Ray, whatever. I mean, those are bad, yeah. but they're not what I'm worried about. They're bad only because it's like, oh, there goes my turn. Yeah, there goes my turn. Right, which when you're... When and then I'm going to get hit by one of these bad yeah. Well, right. actually, you keep Charmed. So if you are Charmed, you cannot attack the creature that has Charmed you. This Charm Ray lasts an hour, and it only ends if the Beholder does damage to you. And there's no repeating of that saving throw. No, yeah. You so can dispel that, though. Yes, it can be dispelled. So. But then you're using resources, someone else's turn. Right. Someone's movements, you know. If it like looks that. at you as well. So if you just happen to get caught in the cone, that would go away as well. It actually specifically oh, stated in the true. lore that yeah. it would charm its minions. And then, like, if they were charmed, it would use its anti-magic to test whether or not they were still charmed. Right. So that could potentially work. I could see times where, you know, it just inevitably has to get you in the eye um but then once it looks away from you that comes right back and right you're yeah it again. just suppresses it yeah um the anti-magic cone is really where it just is so killer i can't get over that i mean we had right. uh, basically everyone could cast some spells um but mm. i think we decided that you cannot smite in the anti-magic which totally makes sense so that was really difficult for me the paladin who yeah. could only hit the thing because i had wings that were also magical uh, right that would yeah to get the spell then you just come crashing down yeah um, so also yeah that's triple important. threat for you you had uh dawn the magic greatsword <laughs> who winked out of existence under the anti-magic cone so annoying you did such a good job of setting up the battlefield too of just i mean he never was close to the ground why would he be that right. was that was like a really big thing in the in the lore of just like why would a beholder come down to the ground and be like yes let me stand in front of this paladin and just take some hits they're three like three eye rays mm, how about a bite yeah 
Oh yeah, we forty six. Yes, it could bite plus five to hit, reach five feet, forty six piercing damage. The only <laughs> only time I could see that beneficial is if it has somebody paralyzed mm-hmm. and there's no one else around. It could swoop in, bite them, and get out. Yeah, but it can't really move that fast to do that. But no, not really. I can't think because of because then a it would single... be eight d six piercing, which is not insignificant. You know what? I'd see it come up in a beholder fight. Because they'd be staring each other down. Oh, beholder on beholder, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, beholder on beholder. Yes. So two beholders are fighting each other, and then they just go in and bite each other's right, eyes off. Yeah, because they're anti-magic rays. They're canceling each other's out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the eye rays are impacted by its own anti-magic cone. That would take forever. I'm just, like, thinking about that now. 18 AC, 180 hit points. All you have is one attack each round, plus five, 46 damage. Which is why their fights take are like so... like three minutes. <laughs> right. It's like the idea of their fights is just so hilarious because like they have all these crazy powerful things, but then it's just like, I'm looking at you. Well, I'm looking at you. Ah, like, come over here. And just arr, arr, biting each other. <laughs> it's just chasing each other around the lair for like <laughs> 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> this did make for one of my favorite moments in the campaign too, though, the, the anti-magic cone where it was like right in front of me for whatever reason. And I was up on a bridge and I had the wings, but obviously they were down because I couldn't, you know, have them out while it was looking at me. And I was like, can I just jump off the edge? And then like when I'm out of its view, fly back up, just like swan dive and come up. And I think I got 10 feet away from it before. And all I had was a whip that could do 10 foot range. <laughs> so I whipped it and smited it. And I don't think, you know, it didn't kill it by any means, but it was just like one of those turns where it's just like, right. Okay. I know I can do something, but what the hell can I do? <laughs> right. <laughs> it worked out. Not for saucy, but for, for everyone well, else for it worked saucy. out. <laughs> all right. So that's its stat block. The stat block, as you said, is, is pretty horrifying. If we, didn't get that across. Um, what are its other layer actions? I know we talked, the one is it basically gets another eye beam. And I think this is important to add as well. Yeah. Uh, You're going to fight a beholder in its layer. Yeah. Almost every time or else it's not really a beholder fight. No. Yeah. And actually it's, um, it's not anywhere in the layer. I was wrong. It opens within 60 feet of the beholder. Oh, okay. The random eye. And then you can do an eye ray. The, the other ones I Wait don't think are. Wait a second. Yeah, I did that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> did not, not impact any of your deaths. It was fine. That was used because it was a 500-foot just... cylinder, basically, you guys were in. <laughs> yeah. And it threw some of you off, and you're high enough to survive the fall. Right. And then you, we, everyone was just kind of standing down there, like, shrugging. What do we do? Right. And so then they had the eyes open up and keep, like, just bugging you guys. I guess technically that couldn't have happened. It's okay. But that actually is really bad because in that situation, traffic was our out. Yeah. Because he sat at the bottom of the pit shooting it with arrows. Right. Because right. he, he is a longbow. He had yeah. sharpshooter, so yeah. the, so the range No disadvantage. It didn't matter. Right. <laughs> It would have been a different fight, yeah. but it wouldn't have been as memorable because Kevin would have dropped Travic onto the ground there and he would have just been like, uh, I take three attacks and I take more attacks and then that would have been it. Yeah. Shrug. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I should have uh, brought light into it saying that it's dark down there. 60 feet of dark vision is not enough to see the beholder. That's that, a good that, point too. Way, that probably would have done. There's no way the beholder would light all the way down to the bottom of the pit. I don't see why they would, unless they just really like seeing the bottom of their right. pit, which could be a weird beholder thing because they're be. really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other two layer actions, a uh, 50 foot square area of the ground within 120 feet of the beholder becomes slimy. That area is difficult terrain until initiative count 20 in the next round. That came up a couple times. It did. Yeah. So it's yeah. pretty frustrating. Just 
again, when we had such limited area to walk on, and now it's difficult terrain. Yeah, yeah this Beholder fight, is so like I said, it was basically a 500-foot cylinder. I think it was 100 feet across. Mm-hmm. Pretty much symmetrical. And there was just rope bridges crisscrossing it, connecting different tunnels and stuff like that. That he and blew it, up. Hmm? That he blew up. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that was it. So there were certain points where you could jump up and climb on other rope bridges and things like that, and the Beholder stayed up really high. So yeah, movement and all that was really limited. Uh, the last layer action, walls within 120 feet of the Beholder sprout grasping appendages until initiative count 20. Each creature of the Beholder's choice that starts its turn within 10 feet of such a wall must succeed on a 15 dex save or be grappled. And then there's you can escape it with an athletics, uh, normal grapple stuff. Right. Yeah. Which definitely isn't the most terrifying one, mm-hmm. but can be pretty frustrating. Right. So yeah, the, the lore of the Beholder. So... It doesn't really go into... There's an entire chapter on Volo's Guide to Monsters on Beholders. There's a lot here. It's a really cool read. It doesn't really go into how they first came about. I feel like it kind of alludes to it at one point where it specifically says like there's a... One of the Beholder kin comes from a realm where there's also Beholders. And like... Yeah. It just kind of says like, oh, it's it's like a really crazy place. <laughs> Nobody goes there. And yeah. it just kind of moved on. It, yeah. The printers of the hand away did away. They just wanted to leave it a mystery. Which right. is perfectly fine. Yep. That that has an impact. So they are aberrations. Uh, aberrations are always kind of like the mistakes in the world. Um, Abolis, the Slotty, which we talked about recently. Stuff like that. Those Will are, Meldon. Oof. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> He's not wrong. Just <laughs> <laughs> that Will's just a beholder. <laughs> Always want to be, man. That, that explains why we like keep putting up with him. Why he's like, yeah, you know, I guess he's an okay guy. Right. He's just using his charm right on us. Right. It also explains the one giant central eye. Yeah, and the fact that he never touched the ground. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Took us this long to find out. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> for whatever reason, they exist in the material plane. And the are extremely prideful and xenophobic they believe they are the epitome of perfection perfection yeah Yeah, everything of every type of race and creature and anything they themselves personally are the best ever even better than any other beholder they are the truest form of a beholder i feel like that actually kind of is a pattern we see with aberrations these fucked up things are like (laughs) you're the one that's wrong i'm the greatest thing ever yeah, like the slots. Slots. Even I think the abolites were like people. that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They would yeah, control people to Yeah. Neat. Patterns, man. Yeah. Patterns. <laughs> <laughs> so they usually go two routes. Solitary or gathering minions. The as super xenophobic ones pretty much just like live by themselves. They will find these out of the way remote places where they dig out their lair. And they're generally by themselves. Um, they might have some mind controlled minions, like usually unintelligence, maybe more like beasts and stuff like that to do stuff. Uh, or you have the ones where they're referred to as eye tyrants. These are the ones that will, will deal with other sentient creatures, but more in the sense of they subjugate them. They see, I'm so much better than you. I'm going to take advantage of you to, for my own ends. And so like Xanathar, the, um, if you're not familiar with that lore, uh, he's the leader of the Xanathar guild underneath Waterdeep they go into very very deep detail in the Waterdeep Dragon Heist book yeah that's the most famous one then there's the book Xanathar's Guide and everything yeah 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 Yeah, that's all what that's alluding to Xanathar is an eye tyrants where it's actually the title of a beholder apparently there's been multiple over the years but 
they'll run pretty much like it's like almost like a thieves guild a criminal organization and they are the head of it they have this huge intricate network of minions and spies and everything that go out and do his bidding or its bidding whatever and it just doesn't have like that huge paranoia is like the thing that really sets them aside right where most beholders are like i want to be by myself and if you're not under control of me then you're trying to kill me i tyrants are like Okay, you know, I can see, like, the idea of mutually beneficial relationships. Right. And as long as you're not screwing me, I won't destroy you in seconds. Because right. I can. Just a reminder. Yeah. I can. Yep. <laughs> I think I, I really like Eye Tyrant. And this was, this is a little off topic. But the, my first experience with a Beholder was Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Which was a PS2 game from, like, 2002 or something like nice, that. Nice, nice. You play as adventurers in Waterdeep. And like the mid boss of the entire thing, you infiltrate the Thieves Guild and you find out who the boss of the Thieves Guild is. You're like, what the hell is that? It was probably Xanathar. It was Xanathar floating around. And that's the cool thing about it is only like five people knew who the boss was. There were so many layers of, it was kind of like that paranoid, got to be careful. It's not common knowledge when an eye tyrant is running the show. Right, right. right. Because they look horrifying and not very charismatic. No, no. (laughs) No, they are. Though they 17. are. 17. <laughs> 17 charismatics. Always different kinds of charisma. Yes. Yeah, it's we, more like fear and just... Please stop calling it charisma. Charisma. Yeah. <laughs> presence. Yeah, just presence. I'd say Beholder has a very high presence. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to fade into the background. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot Xanathar was back there. Oh, my God. We invited the Beholder? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> What's going on, buddy? <laughs> Hate when he just stands there awkwardly. <laughs> floating there I don't know menacingly <laughs> i don't know what any of these guys are talking about i'm gonna go home <laughs> i miss my cave <laughs> yeah so uh, no beholders are not me at parties <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah the eye tyrants are definitely really cool and i think a, a good way to shake up a beholder fight i mean it's it's definitely gives you some really deep options to to use the beholders it doesn't just have to be in a secluded cave that is very difficult to get to again it's that criminal organization they can mm-hmm. be the the big bad evil guy in a campaign and oh for sure yeah i think as you Perfect. were saying in, in Baldur's Gate, whatever game that was uh for the ps2 for the ps2 ps2 that's a perfect example of it where you're like you know you're trying to find this criminal boss and then it's like big reveal it's actually a beholder like that's a perfect way to use it just steal that 12 years old and i was like what (laughs) i'm sure you didn't know what a beholder was either i was was 12 and i didn't know what i was doing i was just an archer i was like going going (laughs) i don't know dmd lore but it was so cool and he had like magic and stuff it's crazy i want to play that game now (laughs) so you you then hit on the other really big thing that kind of shapes them in their encounters the paranoia even the uh, eye tyrants still have a strong amount of paranoia where they are convinced and everybody's out to get them no one can be trusted the ones that take it to extreme are the solitary ones but due to that they have plans on top of plans on top of plans on top of plans it is almost impossible to take a beholder by surprise or not fight them on their terms they spend their days just conceiving every possible thing that could happen to them, every possible threat, how people could attack, how they could be arranged, how their party is composed, how they get into the lair and try and put contingency plans in place to give them the best chance of surviving this. They sculpt their entire layers for this, taking advantage of the fact that they have a permanent fly speed. So they'll do stuff where, like the ones you fought in, um, 
out of the abyss where the main area where they hang out is just this giant pillar, like 100 foot across, 500 deep pillar. That's super terrible for anybody who can't fly. Right. <laughs> and then a lot of them were even through the layers, like to get to where the beholder is, it's a lot of just vertical shafts because they could use their disintegration ray to carve out rooms and tunnels and stuff like that. It could be really uh, focused and pinpointed. It's not just like this big blast every time. And make it almost impossible to move around in. And, but then throughout that, they'll still have long, flat corridors that people could walk through, littered with ground traps, because the beholder could just fly over it. Yeah, they had a whole section on the traps, actually, that I thought was yeah. really, really good. We actually kind of missed that aspect in uh, Out of the Abyss. Yeah. I don't know if that was planned or because of the fact that we had a good social interaction with somebody and they basically told us to come there yeah it it wasn't in it i was okay just, admittedly for that one i was just following the book it, it that's was fine. a pre-made encounter in the book they yeah. just didn't do it i think they just because you guys were lower it was just to keep it a little easier and this right guy was like this particular beholder was a little insane even for a beholder and so i don't think he like went through the makes sense yeah so um yeah, I mean, I think that if you're having a higher level party come to this Beholder, gives you great opportunities to weaken your party before the Beholder fight between an entire dungeon of traps, basically, or minions, because it gives a, a great overview of what type of minions are going to be used as well. You're really just, you've got a huge arsenal to work with. And I really like some of the, the traps that they throw out. One of which, Kevin, I think you will appreciate really more than anyone else. Uh, it's the fact that beholders basically use their disintegration rate to just like break away the ceiling and let something just pour down. One of the examples given is giant centipedes, yep. <laughs> which I'm sure really just got you super excited, yeah, I right? Like that. Do you imagine just walking through a tunnel and then just like ceiling collapses, 50 giant centipedes come out? I can't. I can't nope. imagine You don't want to yeah. imagine that, Kevin? No, 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 no. <laughs> It's this, this running joke. It's not really a joke. It's actually very true. I hate centipedes. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't needs to really check themselves. <laughs> They're pretty terrible. Yeah. I've been getting a lot of house centipedes. I've been just like... They eat other bugs. I'm slowly growing more paranoid. I like spent all my time planning on how to kill these centipedes. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. I'm thinking about hiring other bugs. It's crazy. <laughs> do when we're not around i just tell stories <laughs> like this to be honest <laughs> to the bugs <laughs> or the cia agents listening to me i don't know man. <laughs> they got microphones and everything now <laughs> um so beyond that there are just like a, a whole list of traps yeah uh, they're all they all just feel clever like right. satisfying because they it's the beholder utilizing its particular abilities and knowing that the people chasing them most likely does not have those abilities. Like being able to disintegrate something as it moves away and not be affected by this. Right. Or the door trap, it will um, run through or fly through, like kind of if people are chasing it through a cavern and at the very, very top put a like, you know, 50, 100 feet in the air, carve out a little hole that the beholder could fit through. And there's no easy way for someone who can't fly to get to it. And then at the base of it, there's just a door. It's unlocked, just a regular ass door, but of course it's trapped. Right. And of course, everyone in the, going through it is going to know that door is obviously trapped. It's, it's not even locked. We're going to open it up and it's going to explode or something. But it's like, we can't get to that. So I guess we have to deal with the trap. <laughs> it's so good. It, yeah, it just feels like, yeah, it's satisfying. It's right. It's just like, ah, okay, that's really good. That's just clever. Right. I never know how to feel, like, as a DM, I don't know how to feel about making or stealing these clever traps and, like, using them on pcs because there's sometimes where it's just like 
you just know that it's going to hurt them. Nothing they do is really going to just like solve this. And then inevitably somebody's like, all right, I open up the door and then you do damage to them. And they're like, yeah, that's what I expected. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, hey, it worked. <laughs> like, I don't feel that good about it. I don't right. feel like I like outsmarted. Anyone. You just added flavor to just like rolling dice and like, you have this much less health now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Like it's, you know, it's good. I think it, again, it's, it's so fitting for a beholder that you have to, as a DM, put yourself in the shoes or shoe or, uh, mind. We're going to just going to go with mind yeah. of a beholder. And that just can make you feel bad. Right. <laughs> really, all it comes down to where you're just like really over planning and doing everything in your powers to screw over your players. And they just like sit there with this, you know, slack jaw look like really again <laughs> yep <laughs> uh, more centipedes <laughs> <laughs> the beholder expected somebody who doesn't like centipedes so there's the centipede room just for you there's also so many ways in this to just flavor beholders to make each of them feel very unique because there is just very much like their eye a central theme to them of this paranoia and kind of just a over planning, all of that. But uh, even beyond like how they look, which it also gives a whole bunch of tables for almost too many tables to really flesh out how your beholder looks. You don't um, like the eye stock texture table? <laughs> <laughs> I liked the eye stock texture. I liked it. Yeah. I didn't dislike it per se, but man, there's really a lot of tables about how your beholder looks. Like, yeah. Somebody's like, job for like a couple weeks was just making those tables. I will say uh, the art actually does support all these crazy tables. Yeah. Like, if you look at all their teeth, you're like, oh, those are the different teeth on the table. Right. Every beholder can look very different. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. The reason of being how they reproduce, that's in very strong quotes. Yeah. They dream into existence other beholders. So beholders never like fully sleep, but... They so they're always aware. Naps. Yeah. But they're still aware. And then the since they're aberrations, they have such as like strong just psychic energy and kind of this reality warping power in the world. Sometimes their dreams affect things around them. Like in the actual material plane. And then in rare instances, you will have a dream of another beholder. And if they're if it's a strong enough dream, it could literally pop that beholder into existence. Just like right next to the first one. And how it looks, though, is always varied. It's usually somewhat similar to the original, but tweaked in a different way. Probably most likely in a way for the original to feel like, oh, it's inferior because its eye stalks have joints where mine's are. It has three joints where mine has two joints. So clearly <laughs> my eye stalks are superior. Something like that. So it's just created this kind of odd oddity, this oddness of how beholders look. Mm -hmm. Where they kind of have the general same shape. The large sphere, central eye, eye stalks. That's where it ends. They have different colored skins. Some are scaly. Some are covered like in rocks. Some are smooth and slimy. Their eye stalks are like jointed, kind of like insect legs or segmented like an earthworm or completely smooth. Their eyes can be hourglass shaped or not. They have spines off of them. And yeah, as you pointed out, well, going through Volo's Guide, there's a lot of different art of beholders and they all look very different. There's actually one where it's just drawings of different eye stalks. <laughs> and it's like, oh, holy crap, these are all really different. It's really neat. <laughs> I think what I loved about that whole thing with the beholders dreaming up another is like, yeah, and most of the time they just fight to the death. Luckily, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, you know, you don't want beholders to just keep on popping up. And, right. you know, now you've got new beholders everywhere. It's like, oh, you know, you think of a beholder and then, you know, you kill it. 
So after right. the angry nap, you just wake up and have a fight with the beholder and hopefully you win. If you lose, well, that's the new beholder of this layer and right. just continues on in its yeah. own paranoid state until it makes a beholder that it has to fight. Right. That would, you got to kind of feel bad for him. Imagine your life like that. It's like every couple of weeks you wake up to slightly different Kevin or slightly different Jared, <laughs> and then you have to beat him to death. And there's just <laughs> such a hatred for him. We just have such a hatred for each other. Yeah, we just, exactly. Like, can't help but just try and beat each other. And your poor fiance and wives would just sit there watching and just wondering <laughs> which Kevin or Jared they'd be married to or engaged to the next day. <laughs> She'd eventually probably lose her mind, you know, and then you've got like a greater minion. Well, I mean, you're also, in, I mean, is this just a thing that it just happens to me and Kevin? Or yeah, you say, like, okay. I'm just saying, just All you right. and Kevin become okay. like beholders and you wake up every couple of weeks. On the bright side, it is in a weird way a form of evolution, you know, because the stronger Kevin or Jared does survive. Only in the sense yeah. that it's stronger at surprise morning physical combat. <laughs> All other characteristics could fade away to select for that one. But isn't that really the most important physical characteristic is I surprise so. morning combat? <laughs> <laughs> if somebody wakes you up with a sucker punch, if you're not able to defend yourself, you don't deserve to continue on. That's no. evolution. It's just facts. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yes, it would be very exhausting to be a beholder. I think we can all agree on that. Yes. In the cast of paranoia. Right. Yeah. While we're on that topic, though, there we should probably go over, at least briefly, what the beholder kin we mentioned before are, and that's generally products of bad dreams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot. There's only, yeah. like, three that are, like, the big ones. Yeah, so sometimes these dreams can produce a warped beholder, and then there's other ways to do it as well, creating beholder kin, which have kind of different things where they'll... Sometimes stick with the beholder. There's like lesser ones. Um, I think gazers are what the gazers basically like a, a very weak beholder. Yeah, they're challenging like one fourth. They're like they're only eight inches across. Where beholders is large, large creature where these are tiny, and it usually ends up creating a beholder hive where they just kind of follow them around and do their bidding. It's they're kind of almost more like pets. Really, they're not very intelligent. I don't think they could speak. Yeah, then you have like the death kiss, which go off on their own, and they're kind of like beholder vampires. Again, same general shape, but instead of eyes, they have mouths on their stalks, and their tentacles are 20 feet long. Ew. Despite that, the drawing in Volos almost makes them look cute. They look yeah, like a Pokemon. Like pink. Yeah, it's kind of weird. And, like, their eyes look, like, squishy and cute. and like It reminds me of the, um, the, the co-op robots in Portal 2. You know which one I'm talking about? No. No? Oh, you mean the two, the, the round oh. guy and the tall guy. Oh, right. like the, the main. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Co-op thought, robots. Yeah, yes. Sorry. Not a good explanation, I guess. Orangey yeah. and Bluey. Orangey and Bluey. That's not their names. But it is yeah. now. You heard it here first. But I think the reason that we think it's cute is because the drawing of it, its eye looks like bashful. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Which like, isn't true. Is but it? then no. next to it, there's a little sketch of its sucker tentacle. It's like, it's like <laughs> oh, that doesn't look cute. No. <laughs> yeah, it sucks the blood out of you. Um. I'm really kind of underwhelmed by the Beholderkin. Like, it feels unnecessary. That's there's, fair. There's, there's a million ways for Beholders to have minions. Like, if if the lore wasn't written in the way where they have, like, the charm ray and some will not be so paranoid where they don't draw on minions and all that, Beholderkin could be really good because then there are minions to fill this layer with and, like, kind of flesh out Beholder fights and getting to them. Right. But you, you have no reason for that. Like, um, it goes on to explain the charm ray, even though it has a stat block which just lasts an hour, that it repeated uses and stuff like that will 
wear down someone's willpower and they will ultimately become completely subservient to the beholder right so like i mean they could have giants in there they could have really any humanoid literally race, anything. Any, anything almost right and i would think maybe like a dragon or something you'd be hard pressed to sure sell that one but so they don't really need special stat blocks of other stuff they'd have around them and a lot of these things actually go out into the world by themselves and they're just not really that interesting it's like you find a death kiss and it's like Oh, if you know all the intricate lore, it's kind of cool how this was spun off from a Beholder's right. dream about blood and it spawned into existence and the Beholder didn't catch it in time, so it ran away. Now here it is in the Underdark trying to suck blood. It has like one attack. Yeah. One initiative. <laughs> it's just like, why? It's like... I like it in the kind of completionist sense. This is one of my favorite chapters in Volos, to be totally honest, because it fleshes the crap out of a thing that is, I think, really, really interesting. And so these stat blocks and these monsters, like, throwing into your party, it's like, yeah, it's got one attack, roll initiative. <laughs> but it is a cool detail. So I think maybe yeah. you're writing wasted page space, but yeah, I like that it exists. Like, it could be something more unique. It's like, I, I don't know, I would struggle to use them. It's just... I think there's definitely opportunities to use them, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> and then I'm related to that, the definite absolute in my mind waste of page faith is the death tyrant why you is that like so, death tyrant? no so uh, the lore behind a death tyrant is of as beholders age and it doesn't really give how long they live they start to get obsessed with mortality as they get obsessed with other things it switches to mortality and then often they'll have a dream about death or be overcoming death and they go through this transformation where all of their skin just slots off of them and then they become death tyrants and there are these floating it's similar shape but it's like a skeleton it's basically a beholder skeleton and then they have these kind of like red orbs around them of where their eye stalks would be and basically everything about them is exactly the same but like two challenge ratings higher they have one more ac their hit points go up by seven and all of their dcs go up by one. Oh, um everything else is the same all the irays are the same they have the same effect maybe in one more damage dice on all the irays Stuff like that. And instead of anti-magic cone, it has this cone where you can't restore health while you're in it. So it's actually kind of weaker, I would think. Yeah. And then if you die in it, you come back as a zombie under the death tyrant's control. Unless I miss something, that's it. It's like, why? It it is an entire page and a half dedicated to these things. Like, it's that same... It's even got its own layer. Yeah, which is pretty much identical as well. Except for it's like, (laughs) just make it kind of (laughs) death-themed. Yeah, no, that's the thing. It's it's uh, even even the minions thing is like, note, if this is a death timer, just make half those minion zombies. Right. It's really kind of phoned in. Right. And it's like, so I could see a little like block mentioning it. Like, right. And other things will do that. Like uh, we're doing the Kuo Toa next, next time here. And there's the, you have the whips and then there's the monitors where they're like, they're basically whips with like two small differences. So it just has a little block to the side explaining it. Mm -hmm. It's like, that could be the death tyrant. Yeah. It's just like, that's fair. Yeah. It does not need a page and a half. No. And I feel like, you know, the excuse or reasoning could be, well, you know, what if you need to have a more deadly beholder fight? But then you think about that for about 30 seconds and it's like, I think I can just make the Beholder fight more deadly. Not worth two pages. Right. And I, 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 I'll even say this. I don't like the way it looks as much as the Beholder either. No. I think it's an interesting concept, but it's a floating skull with red dots around it. Yeah. I mean, 
No, I'm not feeling it. Maybe it's a cool pet for a lich. It wouldn't make any sense. No, it would make no sense. <laughs> I think it's slightly more intelligent. Than a lich? No, it's oh, a, no, oh, than oh, a beholder. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah, like all of its stats go by like one or two. That, that's it. It's like... Yeah, it's not that special. That doesn't need a dedicated stat block. People understand they can just boost things up a bit if they need it. Oh, uh, maybe just somebody got bored and they're just like, oh, I like use this for my game. And then they're like, well, we need like another a page in here. So like, go ahead and put that in. We need we need to fill this book out. Bolo's Guide to Monster doesn't have enough. enough no, stuff this in was it. in the Monster Manual. This was in yeah. the Monster yeah. Manual, which is just oh. like I don't know. It's yeah. like an original sin. No, actually, you know, even even the damage <laughs> stuff, like disintegration rate, death rate, it doesn't go up. It's the same. It's just one more DC. DC a seventeen. A little bit harder to hit, and then its DC goes up. Yeah, uh, and its yeah. challenge rating goes up too, by two points. Huh. One point. I'm sorry. Thirteen versus fourteen. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it's like what? It's amusing. It's immune to poison. Is oh. the other one not immune to poison? No. Oh, it has more condition immunities. It is also charmed, exhaustion, paralyzed, petrified, it's poison. It's just undead. Yeah. You much. could have just written that. Just like, oh yeah, it's just undead, man. Wait, does it need food or... I don't think anything needs food or water. It, it doesn't go in that with the beholders, really. It does have minions hunt for it. But, I mean, is that... Hunt what? Rodents food? And crap. Yeah, food. Just it eat stuff. It doesn't have to eat. Beholders have to eat. Yeah, we'll talk about minions going out and capturing things. Kale salads and whatnot. Yeah. That's why it's got those needle teeth. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you. It's yeah. not it's not too great. I mean, yeah. it, it still would be like a good fight by all means. Yeah, no, if you want to use it, it's a great fight. It's a fine enemy. I like the anti I think the big killer for me is the anti magic cone versus the anti healing cone. The negative energy cone. Oh my god! I mean, that's a hundred fifty foot cone at the start of each of its turns. It can place it wherever. So that's the same. Same thing. Any creature in that area can't regain hit points. Any humanoid that dies there becomes a zombie under the tyrant's command. So it makes it a bit scarier to die. Which I mean, it like, also isn't getting in its own way with the eye rays. That's fair. Yeah, so but that's like part of what makes the beholder fight so interesting. I think it actually there's yeah, like it is a there's this fun. huge balance between like where it's looking and like it just has to. It's almost fighting itself at the same time as fighting the party where the Death Tyrant just feels like a stat block where it's got some Beholder flavor to it. It doesn't feel yeah. like a Beholder fight in the same way. Besides, you know, it's got the eye rays. Great. The eye rays suck. Definitely. But there's, there's it really... It still have... I mean, it's still the Beholder. It retains its memories and all that. So it still right. has its layer and its paranoia and its plans on top of plans, top of plans, and escape routes and things like that. I just think the anti magic cone is is really integral to the yeah, beholder. I agree. Fight getting rid of it is yeah. yeah it feels like a, a disservice to the yeah. beholder. Yeah. I mean, what do I know? I didn't write the damn book, but that's how I feel, and my opinion matters, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Back on the beholder, real quick. Just a couple other things we've kind of hinted at it, but if you are do run one of these make sure you absolutely build its layer in a way to take advantage of its abilities the big thing is it's permanent fly mm -hmm. where it has should it never be like on the ground in melee range in front of things you need to make the party find a way to get to the beholder or bring the beholder to them right which is also kind of important when you're like looking at your party stat block before this right. fight like if you are really dead set on having a beholder kind of research what your players have right because there's definitely some party compositions where you can just like just kill them you know you're like a hundred feet up and just shooting down eye rays and they're like 
we just have to leave and that's it. There's no like, we'll come back later once we're, you know, more equipped to deal with this. Unless, you know, you pivot, you're like, okay, you got to find a magic item, whatever. But in general, you should really kind of have something in mind with how they can beat it. Make it really hard to get that thing. Right. It should be a challenge. It should be, you know, very difficult to get the, I don't even know if upper hand, it should be difficult to level the playing field. But if they can't level the playing field, they're going to lose. Right. Yeah, and using uh, darkness is another way yeah. to do it. Where again, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of mentioned it as a joke, just like us talking outside of this. Where if I would have done that, you probably would have just completely died, mm-hmm. GPK. But I, I had it was just it was just kind of even light throughout it. But they have dark vision out to 120 feet, and their eye rays are 120 feet, so they could be 120 feet up from the ground in a completely pitch black chamber, being able to shoot down eye rays at you, and none of your party is going to be able to see them because dark vision just goes out to 60 feet. Yeah. Hmm. That would have kind of sucked. Yep. I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's, this is one of those things where you have to tread the middle because you can either make this the easiest, dumbest fight they've ever had or just fundamentally impossible. Yeah. And then when they're on the ground, they're being shot from the eye rays. You flood in a bunch of minions who also have dark vision and right. Just fuck the maze. What I'm like imagining though, is like a much bigger pit design as to what you were saying. It sits outside of its range. And if you've got a party, where their only ranged attacks are magic, it can sit there and stare at them while they die. Right. So, yeah, right. if you don't make sure that you've got something to give them something, you're going to screw everybody in your party. Right. I'm yeah. not saying that that fight would have gone well for us <laughs> at all, um, but in that situation, basically all we could have done was rely on our Eldritch Knight, who had Sharpshooter, and just take shots at it. And that wouldn't have gone well because the eye rays are going to target him because they'd be like, oh, there's three people who can't touch me at all. And one person who keeps shooting at me. Well, I'm going to kill him once they're dead. That's it. Yeah. So how you go about that, I think, really depends on the pre-setup to this fight. How it it was in this campaign, you were kind of like forced into it. And you like you weren't so much aware of this beholder beforehand. You only just had like a little bit of time knowing. Right. Which means it's kind of go in there and we're starting to kind of wing it and see how it goes. If this is a arc or like an entire campaign and the Beholder is the big bad evil guy at the end, I would set it up that way where if the party just goes in, it would go into basically be impossible for them to win. And right. that's part of the campaign is figuring out this Beholder's tactics and coming up with ways around them. No, I think that's fair because then it becomes like, you know, you get in there, the fight's obviously impossible maybe you even lose a party member because of it uh, and you were unprepared and you need to leave right you know and that's like first things first and the beholder lets them leave because that's yeah. the part of the campaign yeah. to you chase know, whatever. them down will put them in a vulnerable position and exactly exactly um but then you know it's like now the next step is how the heck do we beat this thing how do we come back and and find a way to to take care of it and maybe the answer is somebody makes a new character that can actually fight this thing. <laughs> <laughs> what did we learn, class? Uh, we need a fighter with a longbow. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, its hit points aren't that crazy. Yet. No. 180 for challenge rating 13. I mean, it's high, but it's not, like, insane. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, uh, Eldritch Knight. Or I did anybody not with a longbow. Yeah, 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 anyone with a longbow. Or a warlock doing Interestingly class, enough, you know, in my opinion... Like something that mechanically feeds the paranoia really well is that the town guard could take this thing out really, really friggin' easy. If it was I mean, like a we're talking like challenge rating like one, one half guys. He sent a hundred into the lair with crossbows. Right. right. His day is over. That's true. That's yeah. why that like really feeds into the why is he so freaked out all the time? He really is 
vulnerable to an army of guys with crossbows. Don't tell them. As everyone is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not like not like yeah. a dragon would not be as vulnerable True, to that. because of like the breath weapon. The breath yeah. weapon and the resistance. Yeah. And their speed. Yeah. And their speed. Beholders, yeah. if they're like, if they're cornered, they're moving 20 feet around. Yep. That's not very fast. 40. 40 okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. But you know, that's still something that you can keep up with. And again, just send out volleys of arrows. That's right. a great point, honestly. Yeah. You'll notice it doesn't have the magical resistance mm-hmm. of just like where magic weapons are required. So this is perfect. Yeah. Now, a king could take care of a beholder. The beholder is not the supreme champion of the realm. That's why it gets these weird thieves guilds and isolated right. caves. Yeah, yeah, and set up the crazy traps, and basically it's a gauntlet to get to them. Mm-hmm. And if they do, and if it's still going south, they have escape routes and stuff. Yeah. They'll carve uh, cylindrical tunnels, like just vertical, straight up in the ceiling, and they just hover out of it. And it's like the town guard's not going to be doing do anything about that, right? But I could definitely see a uh, an arc of some sort where a beholder comes within you know, 50 miles of some place. They're raiding these villages as it says that they do when they're nearby. So they're going to come in, basically decimate the forces. Maybe some groups get together. They get an army together, go to attack the beholder. They go through this entire gauntlet and get basically destroyed by the time they get to the beholder and they're wiped out. Cue the adventuring party coming in and, Hey, I think we need some help. The army of people didn't work. I think this is more of a, uh, a covert tactical mission right. instead of let's just throw resources and There at was it. exactly one survivor who managed to drag themselves out. Yeah. He has information for you on. There you go. You know where what they would him? probably not settle? Hmm. Aarakocra settlements. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> but at the same, I mean, no, you're totally right because an army of Aarakocras would destroy them. A single Aarakocra I was thinking about, which a lot of people just don't let at their party because just something having an innate fly speed is kind of frustrating as a DM. Um, but... I believe there's the, I mean, really any of their rays that like paralyzing ray, if they're flying and then they're paralyzed, they're dropping. So it's like, even if there's single air cokers in your party, that's not going to be like the end all be all to kill this beholder. Right. They're just going to fail one of these saving throws and then just nosedive. I guess say yeah, sleep, petrification. A lot. Yeah. There's paralyzing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The petrification, I think would actually straight up kill you because you'd hit the ground as a rock i think you explode i'm not sure uh yeah i, I mean you, you turn the stone the yeah i think you would actually have to then decide how much damage the stone takes but if the stone breaks then yes yeah it doesn't say anything about that in the petrified condition but i mean it kind of makes sense if yeah you do something like that but that's what you get for being a pc with the fly ability it's uncool <laughs> <laughs> takes a spell for most people can't just get that for free yeah i, I um you talk uh, mentioned raiding villages so if like a beholder is set up in an area and a village settles and they feel like it's a threat the the kind of imagery along with how they take that out they would send their minions so the beholder would actually go and they always do it at night and then they fly high above it um they would do it at night for a few days just for reconnaissance and memorize all the guards and their paths and target who's important and who's not and the activity levels and then they send this make this really intricate plan off of this send in all their minions and, and again at night and during all of this then the beholder flies over the center of this village just shooting down eye rays and you picture in this village like you get swarmed with this just kind of mismatch of hobgoblins and orcs and illithids and probably not illithids but <laughs> <laughs> 
all sorts of different stuff. And then high above you, silhouetted by the moon, there's this terrible meat sphere. And just <laughs> death rays just pouring it's down. It's the death meatball! Run! <laughs> <laughs> pouring down on the village. And like anybody important just seems to be immediately known and immediately targeted. And they're right. all just constantly just turn to dust left and right. Yeah. That's like, that. I think that is a great alternative to the dragon fight of common dm usage yeah but like, oh the village is getting attacked by a dragon right oh wow a dragon <laughs> death meatball silhouetted by the move right. <laughs> that's cool i like yeah. death meatball. yeah uh, i guess that is a way you could fight the beholder not in a lair true because they're, they're making themselves very vulnerable because they're not going to be able to run away from you and get back no to it's true um you know who would really benefit from being in cahoots with a beholder the nagpa oh yeah <laughs> They could really use a beholder just wiping out civilizations left and right. I don't know how you'd arrange that. Maybe it's a death tyrant or eye tyrant where they like understand mutually beneficial stuff. They're like, great, I can get more land. And the Nagpa's like, I just want to feed on the scraps. I'm a vulture here. Just give me right. that knowledge. The uh, Nagpa's actually a great thing that would be one of the few things in the world that I could imagine accelerating the beholder's paranoia beyond even normal levels. Okay. Oh, yeah, that kind of whispering it in their ear. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's always like a great advisor. Yeah. Just like, yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm charmed by the beholder, but they're like actually able to pull the strings just a little bit. I mean, Nagpas are intelligent. That's their whole thing. Right. If anybody could trick a uh, beholder, it'd probably be a Nagpa. Yeah. I could see them even like <laughs> stealing beholder kin that get created just to create their little beholder army. Right. I'll take care of this one. Yeah, and just like, oh, puts I got it in a bag. No, it's not worth it, Master. It's not worth it. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, that'd be really good. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Just... That'd be a tough final fight. The Beholder, all the Beholder's minions, the trapped lair and the, the ridiculous setup, and then a Nagpa. Uh, no, it'd be even worse because it would be the Beholder and then the Nagpa and all of its minions. Because you kill the Beholder and you're like, huh, we finally took care of it. And it's like, Let's but who was up. pulling it? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would actually be part of the overarching arc because the Nagpa would, of course, get out of there immediately. Right. And then Beholder's dead. You think everything's great. And then the Nagpa finds a new way to ruin civilizations. Damn you, Nagpas. I, no, that's so good. I love everything we do that. It's in so well. If you wanted to do a one to twenty campaign, the Nagpa just setting up mini bosses the entire time. Somebody, one of our listeners, is doing that. That's perfect because of our show. I felt very humbled. Oh, yes. um, but yeah, they're they're setting up. I don't know if it was one to twenty, but regardless, they're doing a long form campaign. Yeah, I won't go into more details because what if their players are listening? <gasps> Big reveal. It's always the Nagpa. <laughs> Um, anything else on beholders? I mean, I'm sure we could just like read yeah, off of I it. Mean, yeah, I, we didn't talk we, about the treasure at all. They carry weird treasure. Yeah. But is it necessary? We, we, yeah, we really skimmed over the beholder kin, but again, I don't think there's... Yeah, I mean, you can look up the stat blocks and they all have a little bit of different lore and stuff, but... We don't want to talk about it and it's our yeah, show, yeah. so... We're also almost at two hours, so... <laughs> Nobody's even listening anymore <laughs> then. <laughs> oh, the beholders yeah, hour 50 on the timestamp, so we'll, we could probably cut off 10 minutes of just... Yeah, we, we, I hit record early and all that. But. Okay, yeah, that's good. All right. Yeah. So all this right. is a long one. Yep. I think we'll leave it there then. Yep. Thanks for listening. Next time on Monsters and Multiclass. Join us as we discuss the Barbarian Fighter Multiclass and the Kuo Toa from the Monster Manual as we really just struggle with pronouncing it correctly.